Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine, the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. For a large section of the media, leaders in the Western world are often divided up into the, quote, goodies and baddies. So uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is seen as a bit of a baddie. Uh, Donald Trump, the former US president, is probably the arch baddie. And Joe Biden is the uh, the current Democratic US president, is seen as a goodie, as well as some other leaders like Justin Trudeau and uh, Jacinda Ardern. Um, but is this thesis really borne out by the facts or is a, a being a so-called progressive just political cover to do whatever you like? I'm delighted to be joined today by Patrick Hess, who's a freelance writer based in London. Patrick, you wrote an article on this for The Critic recently where you discuss this idea and basically say that the so-called goodies can get away with a lot more than the so-called baddies because they subscribe to the right stock of causes. And as long as they tick all of these boxes, they can do things that the so-called baddies couldn't. And off the top of my head, I was thinking of Justin Trudeau, who, who loved blacking up as a student, it seems, uh, and something that one imagines uh, Boris Johnson probably couldn't get away with. Patrick, it's a, it's a really interesting thesis, not least because you're, you're saying that in some ways these, quote, goodies are actually better at politics than the likes of Donald Trump. Is, for example, the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who wears a Maori cloak when she meets the Queen, is she actually more of a Frank Underwood character than Donald Trump? It's a good question. I mean, um, she's shown herself to be much more kind of um, slippery and, in my opinion, slightly more treacherous than her admirers and her kind of um, elevation to sainthood on the world stage would have would have one believe. I mean, her kind of cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party, her seeming um, to diverge from the Five Eyes Alliance on condemning China's uh, aggressive activities. It's human right. It's serious, serious human rights abuses at home. Um, it is more cynical. I mean, she's, she certainly knows how to foster the right image of her, herself. I mean, someone like Trump isn't playing to the same crowd as her. But you're right. I mean, I mean, Trump's, someone like Trump, for example, his um, overtures towards Russia and to Putin um, during his campaign received enormous pushback. And it was a kind of seemed to be some kind of alliance of authoritarians. And then his China bashing, his China bashing was seen as kind of aggressive and obnoxious. Someone, uh, it seems like the, 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 the so-called baddies, the, the, the leaders that uh, people might put in the populist category, they can't really get away with a lot at all. Um, whereas more progressive leaders, leaders who put on a, a kind of cloak of compassion and kindness and sprinkle fairy dust around the place um there as i say what i consider to be slightly more treacherous uh, actions there in terms of their fostering ties with actors that we we know are hostile and aggressive and are not friends of the liberal western world um it, they're, they're kind of able to get away with that and get reputational immunity from it as i say um it, it's we really should start thinking about what we value in leaders and how, uh, um, you know, humanitarianism, environmentalism, progressivism, these might be great things for leaders of the liberal Western world. But we need to start putting more value on the on toughness, on the, the idea of 
standing one's ground and being um, kind of in the face of um, adversaries and in, in, in the face of hostile behavior. People, people, like, that, people that voted for Jacinda Ardern would say, well, she does. She, she stood up to Trump. She was happy to stand up to Trump. She was happy to stand up to uh, the, the British Queen. Right. What, what, why is standing up to Trump and being rude to Trump so much more admirable than standing up to, say, the Chinese Communist Party? Why? I, I mean, what, Trump, uh, I understand um, we all see um, Trump as kind of the archetype of the kind of demon. Um, but is he worse than the, than the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party? Is, is, he lead, is he worse than those who do actually wish, wish the Western liberal democratic world ill? Those who try to bully our allies? Um, it's, it's, it's become a, a popular thing that any, doing anything that is the opposite of a Trumpian move or mannerism or policy is popular because um, she's such a baddie that um, anything to be shown as anti-Trumpian or anti-populist is automatically virtuous. But there's some things that are um, kind of anti-demagoguery that might be virtuous. And God knows we can all list the kind of Trumpian vices um, lying down, but to, to be able to, um, as I say, leave our allies out to dry, um, as Jacinda Ardern has done to Australia with regards to uh, stances on calling out China, that shouldn't, you know, that that shouldn't just be let slide. Um, being being rude about Trump should should not top the list of of virtues that leaders should have. Um, as I say, we, we, we really need to start readjusting our values. And, you know, don't underestimate how much a leader's um, perception of their own legacy will motivate their behavior. I mean, if, if Jacinda Ardern didn't think that she would be, she could get away with her cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party so easily, and if, they, if she thought that she might be less admired for doing it, then it might motivate her and her government's behavior. And... This is something you mentioned in the piece, isn't it? That you say this, you're, you're you're referencing the point that a, a former CIA analyst told a, a U.S. Congress hearing that that some of Arden's Labour Party's biggest fundraisers were, li- were linked to the Chinese Communist Party. Because I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, she, she uh, New Zealand has um, has told Australia that it should be more respectful of 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 China. But you, you make the point in the in the piece that, that Australia has a lot more to lose by. Um, by standing up to China than New Zealand does, and and, and yet it does, well, and yet, yet it does stand up to China, and, and New Zealand doesn't. Well, I mean, you, you could put it down to a difference in the just um, the governments that are in the two countries at the moment. Australia has a conservative and more hawkish government, and there, New Zealand has a Labour government which is far more cautious um, in treading with its more powerful neighbour. Um, there's debates within these countries at the moment. I mean, the, the Australian government is being getting put pressure on by their Labour Party to start um, reconciling with China and basically um, capitulate in the diplomatic standoff. You can kind of, it depends how, how deterministic you are. I mean, yeah, as, uh, Australia's um, exports a higher share of its overall exports, 
to China than New Zealand does. New Zealand, on the other hand, it's a smaller country. It's got a smaller population. It's got a slightly um, lower international standing and therefore might just see itself as more vulnerable. And Australia has always had a slightly more security-oriented foreign policy. It's much more tied to the US alliance structure and the US security alliance structure. Um, and it may be just a generally slightly more hawkish country. But look, I don't think these things have to be determined. I mean, the New Zealand has zigzagged a little bit recently with regards to China. Um, it started off after being hyper cautious um, in 2018. It started slightly um, changing its tune with China, um, more aligned to the Australian policy. For the first time, their intelligence um, agencies called out China's cyber nefarious cyber activities and started putting some investment screenings and taking a slightly different stance. Now that has totally been reversed under Arden. And I don't think it need to be the case. I mean, look, smaller countries might need to be slightly more cautious, but um, we don't need to, for example, diverge from the five eyes when the five eyes issue a condemnation of China's activities as Arden did the other month. This is a serious diversion from the alliance's um, stance. And serious questions might have to be asked in the future about New Zealand's future position within the Five Eyes. Because look, again, like I say, smaller countries are maybe more, more vulnerable and maybe in general do tread more carefully. But uh, and, New Zealand might have a, a, a keen interest in, in um, trade with China, potentially more so than Australia. But it's also the fact that its position within the Five Eyes Alliance isn't to be taken for granted. This is one of the most robust and enduring intelligence sharing alliances um, in recent history. And if serious questions do start getting asked about New Zealand's position within it and whether all intelligence should be shared with it, then it should really consider what its, its interests are. Um, we're all trying to walk this tightrope of balancing our dependency on the Chinese market with security concerns over China. But I think New Zealand might have to um, seriously reconsider its um, this this kind of balance because I don't think it's been getting it right. Well, this and is... That's say, yeah, that's what that's kind of what I was going to go on to. I was going to say, I mean, is this a is this a very clever tactic, or should 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 these leaders be reserving this for campaigning, and getting into power, and actually when they when they actually get into power, they should kind of have their interest countries at heart more. I, was, I, was, I know you mentioned Angela Merkel in the piece, who's described as the leader of the free world when Donald Trump was president, and she's happily ploughing ahead with Nord Stream two, which is the the gas pipeline which makes Europe more dependent on Russian gas. I mean, it, it makes good political sense for the likes of Angela Merkel, I suppose, to to um, open up the borders to Syrian refugees and ban nuclear power, and it's certainly helped her to neutralise the, the the green vote in Germany. But but has it actually helped Germany? I mean, is is it is it helpful for Germany to to for Nord to uh, put Nord Stream two online and get rid of their nuclear power? Is it helpful for um, New Zealand if if their leader is is cozying up to China? I don't think it's ultimately helpful for these countries. Um, again, it's 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 all comes down to the question of balancing out your economy, your concerns with your security ones. And, you know, again, a leader might be elevated because of his or her 
ability to boost the performance of an economy in the short term. But if those moves lead to more long-term security um, concerns, then ultimately that country's that country will not have had its interests served by these leaders. And they need to seriously think. I mean, in the case of Germany, I think the centrist German parties consider Russia to be a partner. Um, whether Russia will pose a threat to Germany in the long-term future, if it, if it grows in power, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think Germany is a kind of trading superpower or an aspiring one. And if it can work with Russia to realize its ambitions on the world stage, it sees um, it's kind of that enabling of Russian aggression as a small price to pay for it. It might be good for the German people in the short term because of their um, maybe some jobs um, uh, in you know to do with the pipeline, but ultimately for the security of Europe and for the security of Germany, Russia is known to be a, a, a threat and a hostile actor towards Europe. And with regards to Jacinda Ardern and the Chinese Communist Party, we all know that China's rise will not be good for um, anyone with any interest in maintaining the liberal world order in any Western-aligned countries. And so, as I say, um, it, it may be a kind of cynical careerism that motivates these leaders. They know that if they boost their economy, their, their reputations will be, will be sound. And if any security concerns come along with that, then they'll just be pushed into the long term and may not be connected to them. But as I say, we really need to start adjusting what we value and whether we value our leaders in the liberal democratic world and in those nations aligned to the West, whether we value uh, them taking a tougher stance on our adversaries or not. It's not all about, I mean, as you, as, as you mentioned before, she's rude about Trump and, you know, that's all great. And it's all a kind of triumphant um, pushback to the ascendant populists. But this, isn't, this shouldn't be the main issue. This, this isn't the real threat to the world order. This isn't the real um, geopolitical threat, the rise of people like Trump in the West. Trump didn't turn American democracy on its head. He may have tried towards the end, but for most of his term, he didn't. And we may want someone less Trumpian, um, but the, the kind of other end of the spectrum is a kind of pseudo-humanitarianism, which doesn't value um, maintaining our alliance structures and our robustness. Um, how much of this, uh, how much of your thesis do you think applies to countries outside of the Western world? Because it seems to me that, it, um, uh, I don't know, China, for example, is, um, uh, it has for a long time worn this kind of cloak of woke, at least when facing the Western world and presenting itself as a kind of uh, a, a country uh, oppressed by Western nations and oppressed by the history of um, colonialism and the opium wars, but as now seems to have, have switched completely. I mean, they still do say that they're, um, they've been oppressed historically by the Western world, but they're, they're taking a much more aggressive stance and it's becoming a lot harder for, um, uh, for Western leaders to, to say, you know, China's a, a, a country that has our best interests at heart. Do, do you think your thesis applies to the likes of Xi Jinping? Well, they can, the, the Chinese leadership, um, 
it can capitalize on the kind of woke trend in Western societies where the line between oppressor and oppressed is the most um, popular narrative going around now. And everyone's looking for oppressed people to stand up on behalf of and oppressors to oppose. And if China can kind of uh, appeal to these kind of obsessives of oppressor and oppressed, then it might be able to score some political influence. Um, it, in my opinion, it, there's only so long it can do this for because you can't at, at once be an oppressed nation and be an aspiring superpower. I mean, you, there, 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 is so, there is only so long that they can plausibly um, put up this cloak for um, some very naive people in our societies might fall for that. But I have faith that they're, they're, they will be in the minority. China, of course, can also play the race card because of, it is an Asian country. And it, can, it did try to play this, actually, when Australia tried to very bravely, in my opinion, call for a, an independent international inquiry into the origins of coronavirus, where China cynically, but you might say cleverly, said that this was motivated by racism. And Trump's um, calling out on China over its handling of the coronavirus pandemic was motivated by racism. And so it can capitalize on all these trends of, of the trend of oppressed, the race trend. But, you know, the extent to which we allow them to do that and to kind of infiltrate our, our culture wars um, is up to us, really. I mean, I have I've, I've, personally, I have faith that we're you know smart societies we know we know what is cynical when we see it and we know what is just posturing and it should be clear to anyone paying any attention that the last year has shown um china's true intentions um if people didn't already realize them this behavior in hong kong this behavior in um xinjiang towards the uyghurs it's kind it's heavy vetting and restrictions towards a, an inquiry should show the world what the Chinese Communist Party is really about. I don't think these these um, kind of playing to the oppression crowd, I, I, I hope that it won't work. And I have faith that the majority of people in our societies are smarter than that. But it is a worry and it is a strategy that they can get leverage on. And, and final question, do you think these, these, uh, these leaders, these these goodies, do you think they, they believe their own rhetoric or do you think it's, it's purely realpolitik, it's purely you know, to get them into power and into their position and to kind of, to kind of uh, indemnify them from, from anything that, that, that might be more dubious that they get up to? A good question. I mean, I think essentially world leaders will play to a crowd for political capital and after a while will start to internalise their rhetoric and believe it for themselves and kind of become what they've truly become, what they've um, been fostering an image of. Um, they probably do. Um, they're probably sincere, I would expect. Who, who knows what's really going on in someone's mind? But I expect someone like Arden is sincere when she talks about her kind of humanitarianism, her concern for refugees. I suspect she does care about the environment and she does care about these things. Um, but it's also probably true that she's noticed that it will buy her convenient political cover. Um, so I don't think they're insincere necessarily, but 
I do think they, look, the politicians respond to public demands and public what we what we will give them. And as I say, it's, it's kind of up to the public in, in their own countries and in the world. If we don't let them get away with this, then they might be less inclined to do it. Well, Patrick Hess, uh, that's all we've got time for on the Critic podcast. But thank you for uh, for coming on. And thank you for such an interesting article in the Critic online. It's a great pleasure to have been with you, David. Thank you for inviting me on. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.